Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. Take a copy of God's Word and make your way to the Gospel of Luke. This morning, I want to ask you to join me as we begin specifically targeting our prayers toward a project of relieving our debt on our two facilities here and in Orange Park in the next three years. That's a good place to say amen. We are trusting God to help us to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings over the next three years so that we can lay aside the debt still owed on these facilities and the debt we acquired in our merger in Orange Park at the beginning of this year. And as your pastor, I'm asking you to join me in prayer Not only that God would bring that to pass for us as a church corporately, but pray for us as a church so that each of us as an individual or as a family would be led of the Lord as to how we should sacrificially give over the next three years. This month, you'll hear this from me repeatedly, just asking you to be prayerful. Pray for yourself, your family, pray for our church, pray for the next generation that God would have us to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I want to talk to us about what the scripture says about what our attitude toward these things should be. Specifically today from Luke chapter 6, let me pray, and then I want you to hear the reading of God's word. give you praise for the total sufficiency of the blood of Jesus and in his name we ask that you would help us to lay aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness so that we may receive with gentleness the implanted word that is able to save our souls. I pray father that you would help us to be doers of the word as well not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Grant me physical strength and spiritual energy to speak your word with faithfulness and clarity the seed of the word is planted today. Make it grow to your glory, we pray. Amen. I want to talk today about the dynamics of Christian generosity. The dynamics of Christian generosity from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and therein the reading is this. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Amen. You may be seated. This is God's word. The dynamics of Christian generosity. An IRS agent investigated a man who claimed on his returns to only make a small amount yet a large percentage of his income he claimed was given away to his church. During the meeting, the agent asked the man if he had a receipt from his church for these so-called donations, expecting to cause the man to panic. <laughs> he was surprised when the man did, in fact, have documentation for his giving he was so surprised that the agent apologized to the man and said that he had to look this up because it seemed odd that someone that made so little would give so much. At the end of their meeting, the man asked the agent to join him in going to church one Sunday. The agent thanked him, but said, I'm already a member of a church. I'm sorry, said the man, that thought never occurred to me. The agent didn't understand what he meant. He kept pondering it all the way home and didn't figure it out until the next Sunday morning when in church, he put his typical dollar in the offering plate. Indeed, friends, I stand to say that people have a right to question your profession of faith if you do not live with generosity. In fact, as you look in the mirror at your own life, you should examine your own Faith in God, love for God, commitment to God. If you are not a generous person but claim to be a Christian. To be a sincere, faithful, and mature Christian is simply to live with generosity. To be a Christian is to live. With generosity. That's the message of Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38. These two verses are part of a discourse of Jesus that is called the Sermon on the Plain, recorded in Luke chapter 6, verse 20 through verse 49. The discourse is so called because verse 17 of this chapter tells us that Jesus was on a level place, a level plain. Likewise, this discourse is a similar and shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the righteousness of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is about the righteousness of kingdom citizens, but the Sermon on the Plain is about the relationships of kingdom citizens. Verses 20 through 26 deal with our relationship to material possessions. Verses 27 through 45 deal with our relationships to other people. And then verses 46 through 49 deal with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The key verse of this extended discourse is in verse 36 where Jesus says, Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Warren Worsby rightly commented here that it's an awesome thought that when I show mercy, I am actually practicing one of the attributes of God. Jesus commands his disciples to imitate the mercy of God. But immediately after that command in verse 36, verses 37 through 38, expound that command by teaching us the dynamics of Christian generosity. What does it mean for a Christian to live with generosity? Consider, first of all, with me, the priority of Christian generosity, the priority of Christian generosity. Luke 6, verse 38 is a famous verse. But you have misunderstood Luke 6, 38 if all you see in that verse is a statement about money. Luke 6, verse 38 is a call to generosity, but it is the last of four parallel commands. What I'm trying to say is you can't understand verse 38 if you don't first understand verse 37. Verse 37, Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then in verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. The connection of these four commands and the fact that the command to give sits after the three relational commands in verse 37 Confront us with the priority of Christian generosity. What is the priority of Christian generosity? Here it is. People matter to God more than possessions. People matter to God more than possessions. Your God-given relationships are just as much a part of your stewardship as your financial resources. Christians must practice both moral stewardship and material stewardship. If you're taking notes, you should jot down Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Those are kitchen spices. 
and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying there. Giving to the church without concern for others is religious hypocrisy. Before in our text, Jesus says anything about giving, he first teaches us how to treat other people. He talks about our relationships. Let me just walk you through verse 37. The first command is this, judge not and you shall not be what? Judged. The word judge there describes the judicial process by which a person is tried, convicted, and punished. Jesus uses this legal term here to say, church, you must not act like you are judge and jury over other people. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brothers speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and James is implying it ain't you. It is the one who is able to save and to destroy. Look at the end, note the end of James 4, verse 12. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Jesus says, do not judge. And of course, this injunction against judging is not absolute. Jesus is not telling us here to be gullible, undiscerning, or permissive. We see that right here in the Sermon on the Plain in verse 43, for instance. Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit. And again, does not a bad tree, does a bad tree bear good fruit? For you to respond to that statement requires that you judge between good trees and bad trees, good fruit and bad fruit. In fact, verse 44 says, each tree is known by its own fruit. So Jesus does not forbid all judging. But he does condemn self-righteous, arrogant, hypocritical fault-finding that impugns other people's motives and assassinates other people's character. In fact, this command against judging is in a grammatical emphasis that forbids something that is already happening. Listen to what Jesus is saying to us this morning, church. Stop judging other people. The command is attached to a promise. You see it? If you stop judging others, you will not be judged. This does not mean you will not have to one day answer to God for how you have lived your life. Hebrews 9 verse 27 declares, it is appointed for a man once to die and after that comes the judgment. You will have to answer to God for how you live your life. But what Jesus is saying here, that if you live without judging, you can stand before the judgment seat of the Lord without fear. Or in Matthew 5, verse 5, it is said this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Mercy. 
So Jesus says, do not judge. And then he says in verse 37, condemn not and you will not be condemned. The word condemn is also a legal term. It's closely related to the term judge. It carries both legal and moral connotations. This word condemn is the act of sentencing a person after the person has been judged. The opposite of condemn is to acquit. John Bingle writes, by judging, we decide on the goodness or the badness of an action. But by condemning, we determine as to persons what the guilty deserves. Judging is about law. Condemning is about people. And Jesus here condemns judgmental attitudes and censorious treatment that seeks to put others in their place based upon our small-minded view of them. What are you talking about, Pastor? A good illustration is in John chapter 8. As Jesus was teaching, he is interrupted by a crowd of religious people that bring a naked woman kicking and screaming. They throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. We caught her in the act. Somehow they caught her, but the man got away. The law of Moses commands us to stone her. What do you say? Do you remember? Jesus says, let him who is without sin, what? Cast the first stone. And then he began writing on the ground. And as he was writing on the ground, one by one, the condemners walked away. And when Jesus looked up, they were all gone. And Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? No one left to condemn you? She said, no one. And he said, well, neither will I condemn you. Go and what? Sin no more. This is the heart of the ministry of Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That 17th verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, you should write this verse down, says, There is there now therefore... No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can stand before God without condemnation in spite of all the wrong that you have done. But do you hear what Jesus is saying here? You are only free from condemnation because you sliding in on grace. If you are saved because grace refused to condemn you, who are you to condemn your neighbor? Look at verse 31, Luke 6. Jesus says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is the golden rule, right? And it's the only place 
This kind of language is used in all of antiquity. I don't care where you look. Many ancient teachers said, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Jesus is the only one that took that negative command and, and flipped it positively to say, the good you want others to do to you, beat them to it. Y'all not in here with me. Do unto others as if you are the others. If you want others to do good to you, do good to them first. Then after forbidding attitudes and conducts that do not imitate mercy, Jesus thirdly says in verse 37, forgive and you will be Forgiven. The word forgive means to send away. That's all the word means in Greek. What a beautiful picture. It was used for loosing the bonds of a captive and setting him free. It was used for acquitting one who is accused of crime and releasing him. It was used for a debtor who is released from the debt and not prosecuted. It was even used in 1 Corinthians 7 of divorcing one's mate and sending that person away from the house. It just means to send away. This is what God does when he forgives us. There is a burden of guilt that we carry because of sin, but by amazing grace, God lifts the burden and sends it away. Are y'all in here with me? Jesus says, what God has done for you, you must do for others. You must let go of bitterness against those who have hurt you, wronged you, or offended you. You must not judge. You must not condemn. You must forgive. And Jesus says, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. He later explains that in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, the parable of the unmerciful servant who owed his king an astronomical amount of money. The king just freely forgave him and sent him on his way. But while he was on his way, he saw another brother that owed him a few bucks and tried to choke the money out of him. I'm not making that up. That's literally what Jesus said. And the king called the unmerciful servant in and withdrew his forgiveness because the forgiven servant refused to forgive. Matthew 18, verse 35 is the most disturbing part of the story. Where Jesus says, so will my Father in heaven also do to every one of you who from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So in verse 37, Jesus says that we ought to live as those who are non-judgmental, non-condemning, non-grudge-holding and he says that before he ever tells us to give, reminding us that the priority of Christian generosity puts people before possessions. 
Watch the practice of Christian generosity. Secondly, the practice of Christian generosity. Stephen Olford rightly said that giving satisfies the soul, edifies the church, and magnifies the Lord. Therefore, it should be of no surprise that the primary command of this passage is the command that begins verse 38, give. The word give in the Greek means to give. I'm sorry I'm being so deep this morning. It means just that. Let me try to know. It means to give of your own accord. This may seem obvious, but it's necessary. It's a needed reminder that you have not given if you have to be begged, forced, pushed, bribed, or manipulated to do it. Likewise, it's not giving if you only do it thinking about what you will get in return. That's not giving, that's negotiation. That's I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. True generosity gives willingly. When Jesus says in verse 38, give. Give of your own accord. He is reminding us, church, that true generosity starts in your heart, not in your bank account. You'll never be able to give what you have in the bank account if, you're, if you don't start with generosity in your heart. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44 says that Jesus was watching in church at given time. And you ought to make a point there because he's still watching at given time. And he saw a lot of rich people that put a lot of money. They had these big trumpets. The people would come forward and put the money in. This is why many churches still walk forward. It was symbolic of you bringing your offering to the Lord and laying it on the altar. And they throw the coins in. A lot of money would be clanging on those trumpets. But, but an old widow woman gave two mites, which together it's worth less than our penny. But Jesus called the boys over and said, you got to see this. Because while others put in much, this woman gave more than everyone because she gave all that she had. Are y'all listening to me here? Jesus was not looking at the amount that she gave. He was watching the willingness of the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, in fact, just bluntly says it, that when there's a willing heart, God counts your offering based upon what you have, not what you don't have. My daddy said that's why Jesus said the widow gave more than everybody else, because she tossed in her two mites and an IOU that said, what I would if I could. <laughs> she was willing to give. And Jesus commands us to give willingly. On the surface, it seems contradictory to command somebody to do something willingly, but Jesus is not merely commanding us to do something. He is commanding us to 
be the kind of generous people who freely give. And the command is in the present tense, which denotes habitual action. Sacrificial generosity ought to be the Christian lifestyle. Notice the intentional ambiguity of this command. Jesus commands us to give, but he doesn't tell us who to give to, what to give, where it should be given. He just says, give. It's an all-encompassing call to generosity. Now, let me mark this down before we go any further. Jesus says, give. But note, friends, just because you give liberally your material possessions to to others does not necessarily make you a generous person. Do I need to say that again? Just because you give a lot, you do a lot, doesn't necessarily make you a generous person. Some people give money to buy off others to protect their selfishness and to keep from giving what really counts like time, concern, and service. Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels you don't really see Jesus giving people money? All the riches in the world were at his access, but when needy people came, Jesus did not give them money. He rarely gave them Food. You know what he gave them? He gave them love and service and time and compassion. And the greatest gift of all, he gave himself. You don't believe that? Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life as a what? Ransom for many. Of course, I'm not saying that it is unimportant that you, about giving money. God wants you to give money cheerfully, intentionally, locally, proportionally, regularly, sacrificially, voluntarily, worshipfully, and quietly. Jesus says, when you, when you give, don't call CNN. <laughs> so everybody can see how generous you are. The fact that you faithfully pay tithes and regularly give offering is not an excuse to opt out of your personal responsibility to serve others. Some things cannot be fixed by throwing money at it. Sometimes you got to give others yourself. And this is the heart of Christian generosity. Give yourself first to God and then if if you give God yourself, you won't have a problem giving anything else to him. The practice of Christian generosity is give. But thirdly, I want you to see the promise of Christian generosity. Jesus, this could, verse 38 could be the shortest verse in the Bible, and we wouldn't have a place to fuss. Jesus could say at verse 38, give, period, and then moved on. 
didn't do that. He says, if I catch you giving, always know I will respond to your generosity. The command to give in verse 38 is the primary part of this call to generosity. This is signified in verse 38 where the command to give goes beyond the parallel promise of the previous commands. All four commands in verses 37 and 38 are attached to a corresponding promise. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. But the promise related to condemnation, judging, and forgiving, these promises are narrow. Jesus just simply says, either you are condemned or you are not. Either you are judging or you are not. Either you are forgiving or you are not. But the promise to those that give in verse 38 is not just reciprocal. It's lavish, plentiful, abundant. He, he could have just said, give and I'll give it back to you. And that could have been it. But he didn't just say what he'll give. He said, I'm going to tell you how I'll give it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Y'all don't even know when to shout on a sermon. I'm, I'm disappointed in y'all. That was a shouting point. Uh, everyone in the ancient world wore robes. And when a man or a woman walked or worked, they would pull up the hem of their robe and stick it in their belt so that their legs and feet would be unencumbered. This process also made a, a, a pouch that was a glorified pocket or purse or duffel bag. And when they would go to the market to buy grain, they would pay for the grain, and they'd have to carry it in this pouch back home. And they'd have to get as much in as they could. So when they would get the grain, they would load up this pouch a good measure. But, but then they start pressing it down. Y'all ain't in here with me. To get more in. And then when they would press it down, they'd shake it together to make room to get more in. And as they were walking home, Grain was running over. Y'all ain't in here with me. Jesus says, you never have to be afraid about giving generous to my kingdom, to my cause, or to my church. If you give, I'll give it back to you. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over will men pour into your lap. I, I got I to move on. What is pastor trying to say? I'm, let me bottom line it for you. You can't beat God giving 
no matter how hard you try. God will never let himself be outgiven. The Lord will always make sure he gives more to you than you give to him. God is such a generous God. I, I don't have time for this. I got, I got to move on. But he's such a generous God that when Job lost everything he had, he was able to say, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know why you can bless the Lord when you lose? Because the same God that gave you that will give you what you need the next time. R.G. Letourneau created these great earth or earth-moving machines, dirt machines. He became a wealthy man. But even though he was wealthy, he was generous. He reached a place in his life where he, he reverse tithed. He gave 90% of his money back to God and lived on 10% and was still a rich man. When somebody asked him, how are you able to live like that? With his dirt moving mentality, he says, they said, I shovel money to God and God shovels money back to me and God's got a bigger shovel than me. <laughs> Y'all ain't in here with me. This is all Jesus is saying. God has got a bigger shovel than you. And if you give to God, he'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of your increase. And your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3 and 10 says, bring all your tithes to the storehouse, that there be, may be meat in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing on you, that there will not be room for you to receive it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times has an abundance for every good work. Quickly, the principle of Christian generosity, and I'm done. You do know, church, there are three types of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything from a flint, you gotta hammer it. And then you only get chips and sparks. To get water from a, a sponge, 
you gotta squeeze it. And the more pressure, the more you get out. But a honeycomb just naturally overflows with internal sweetness. What kind of giver are you? This is an important question because of the last principle of verse 38. With the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Whew. The way you give is the way you'll receive. The standard you use in treating others is the standard God will use in treating you. Eugene Peterson's the message paraphrase states it this way, generosity begets generosity. If you are generous with God, God will be generous with you. But if you are stingy with God, I believe in the sovereignty of God. It just means God controls everything. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe. He's got the whole world in his hands. Nothing happens by accident. God controls all of the details of life. But this closing principle is a mysterious truth. It teaches us that in a real sense, God says, I'll let you determine how I'll treat you. The same measure you use with others, I'll use with you. He says, we'll play the game, but I'll let you set the rules. You want to be judgmental? I can play that game with you. You want to be condemning? I can play that game with you. But if you want to be forgiving, are y'all in here with me? God says, I know how to play that game. And if you want to play the giving game, he says, I just want you to know when you play with me, I don't lose. If you want to play the giving game, I'll give it good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. A certain man dreamed God spoke to him, promising to take the amount of his weekly offering and multiply it by 10. And that would be his income. But he didn't wake up rejoicing. He woke up frightened because he said, Lord, how can I live on $10 a week? You should not expect the Lord to speak to you in dreams. You should expect the Lord to speak to you from his word. And his word says, for the same measure you measure, it'll be measured back to you. Friends, when you live with a closed hand, nothing gets away, nothing gets in either. But the hand that gives gathers. This is not prosperity theology. This is not name it, claim it. This is not positive confession. It's the word of God. Psalm 37, verse 25 and 26 says, 
I have been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. That 26th verse of Psalm 37 says he is merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed. Write down Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. It says, cast your bread on the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will happen on the earth. You know what that means? It means the best insurance policy you can establish is just being generous to others. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he that sows abundantly will reap abundantly. God really says, I'll let you set the measure, and the way you measure, I'll measure back to you. Sometimes people ask, I want to tithe, a biblical principle of giving 10% of your income back to God, but what should I tithe? The net or the gross? Here's my answer. Which do you want God to bless, the net or the gross? For the same measure, you measure out, it'll be measured back to you. Church, God is calling us to a radical level of generosity. But he gives us this assurance, the measure you measure out, it'll be measured back. I woke up this morning thinking about my daddy. My daddy would close his sermons with a summarizing illustration. And my, one of my favorite stories to hear my dad tell, I was a boy sitting on the front row. When I first heard it, I didn't get it. It took me a bunch of times to get the story. It was just of a man on his lunch break that didn't have a lot of time, and he went through the drive-thru and got fast food, pulled over near the park and ate it in his car. Only half of it, his time was running out. <laughs> so he put it in the bag, twisted the top, and threw it out the window toward the trash can on the corner. He missed, but of course he wasn't going to get out. He pulled off, but when he pulled off, it was as if the birds up in the tree were watching. They, they waited for him to get down the street. And they came and started pecking at the bag to get in to the contents. They couldn't. But it's as if one of them heard a sound coming from down the street and gave the rest a cue, and they flew back up into the tree as a passerby walked by. When the passerby got to the bag, he looked down at it, and for some reason he looked up at the cooing birds in the tree and figured it out immediately. He picked the bag up, opened it up, dumped the food on the floor, put the bag in the can and kept on walking and the birds came down and had a good meal. I'm finished, I gotta go to Orange Park to preach. That's, that's the story. Um, my daddy would tell that simple story to say that God is able to open bags for you. 
Do you get it? You're trying to hustle and peck and work and slave to get what you need. But there's a God in heaven that knows how to show up and provide what you need just when you need it. If you'll put him first. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast, please visit us online at shallow.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.